Hello everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to another Culture and Coffee podcast for Monday the 10th of July 2023. Uh, surprising myself here, how chipper I feel. Uh, first thing this Monday morning, what time is it here? 20 past six in the morning and all is quiet. Um, so yes, today I'm going to be talking about, or giving you some insights in, uh, for you to be able to spot what kind of culture you have right now, like literally right now as you are in work, if you're listening to this in work, on your way, um, yeah, just so you get a sense of where you are and where you're at. And I think it's it's really important that you're able to do that. It's that, that whole thing of knowing how you feel. If you're aware of how you feel, you can do something about it. Um, and it's the same with your culture. If you're not kind of culture you've got, you can do something about it or not. You know, and if you choose not to, well, don't moan. Plain and simple, save the moans for home. Um, this week's coffee is a an Ethiopian conga from Puzzle Coffee. Uh, now, Puzzle Coffee are in, they're opposite the Town Hall in Melbourne, for those of you who have ever been here. For those of you who have not, you should come in. Uh, it's going to be unseasonably warm this year, global warming. You shouldn't be happy about that, really, global warming, but... It's been a bit chilly here recently, so I'm kind of looking forward to it. That's a terrible thing to say, isn't it? My kids will be like, God, you're not safeguarding the planet. I'm like, listen, I just I just want to be a little warmer than I have been. That's all. You know, not five degrees warmer, just just a few degrees would be good. Classic poem. There I go with my weather again. I can't help it. Can't help it. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's in the centre of uh, Melbourne. Great little place. There was an article about, um, well, it was included in an article about Melbourne Coffee in the Financial Times when I was in the UK in March. There was a whole piece in the FT uh, in London about um, Melbourne and coffee. And and so there's there's a list of five places that they had. And I've, I've done, this will be the second of the five that I've done on the podcast. And so I've got the other three uh, still to do. Uh, so yes, it's an Ethi- another Ethiopian coffee um, from Puzzle. Now the great thing about Puzzle Coffee, um, let's have a look at the back here. So it's www.puzzle.coffee, and um, they donate one tree for every coffee bag sold. So bought a couple of bags. Why not? Uh, so I'm looking forward to trying uh, this Ethiopian conga. So let me just do that right here. So it says it's got notes of pear, lemonade, peanut butter, and blackberry, which that's a lot going on. And definitely getting, definitely getting lemonade and the pear, not so much the peanut butter and the blackberry. Although I have to be honest, I, I've made a pretty bad coffee here. Now it happens every now and again. It's got nothing to do with puzzle coffee. Let me just say this. So um, I use a filter machine. Uh, name escapes me right now, but it's orange. And uh, I've, I've put too much water in this. I definitely, I've definitely put too much water in it. Have you ever had the coffee and it just tastes a bit weak? Right. And it's, that's nothing to do with the coffee. And it's everything to do with the way that it's made. It really, although I hope you're not one of those awkward people. I like, I'll have a, I'll have a triple shot extra hot. I want it to burn my mouth so badly. Um, yeah, it's not that. I've just made a really bad coffee so I'm getting all of those. I'm getting getting a couple of definitely getting the pearl and the lemonade. In fact, that's really nice. It's just not strong enough, and that's my fault. Uh, yeah, not every, somebody asked somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago. They're like, oh, I love listening to your culture coffee put Is every coffee you drink a good one? It's like, well, no, it's not. But after time, it's down to the way it's made. 
Uh, it's got nothing, usually got nothing to do with the coffee itself. It's, you know, it's it's a pretty, it's, it's a complex drink to make. And then once it's in our hands, it's relatively simple. And, you know, we I, I was talking to a friend in New Zealand recently and uh, we were talking about the fact that like the coffee culture in Melbourne and New Zealand is such is if you make a bad coffee, people will not go to your cafe. Like it's plain and simple. Like, you know, if you, it, you might do the best. What's the thing in New Zealand? Oh, cheese scones, not scones, people. Cheese scones. They love a cheese scone in New Zealand. And uh, we were saying you could do the best cheese scone in the world. But if you do a bad coffee, you ain't getting any business. Um, you've got to do a good coffee. Anyway, enough of that. That's the coffee today. Uh, it's a an Ethiopian conga from Puzzle Coffee, uh, Puzzle Coffee in Melbourne. So let's let's talk um, about how to spot the kind of culture you have. So the, there are two there are two key variables to any culture, and they are emotional intelligence and and, and engagement. So just very very briefly on those two variables. Um, emotional intelligence essentially is the capacity to be aware of, manage, control how you feel and the ability you have to then use that knowledge to build relationships with other people. Like some people's emotional intelligence sucks, but some people are highly emotionally intelligent. Like when I said that about some people's emotional intelligence sucks, like there's someone who immediately leapt into your mind. You're like, yeah, I know the guy you're talking about. I know him well and I have to work with him every day and he sucks the life out of me. My friend Warwick called them oxygen thieves. Um, yeah, so emotional intelligence. And, and, you know, I've talked about emotional intelligence in the past. It's the thing that um, we've, we've downplayed the role of it for far too long in our cultures. Now, I'm a pretty, um, as you listen to the podcast, you probably know this. If you're the first time you've listened to the podcast, here's what you can expect. I'm a pretty no-nonsense kind of kind of guy right is um I, I like to call things as they are what I don't one of the things that really irks me is when people try and overcomplicate messages about culture there's there's this sense that oh everybody has to be as clever as me to really understand this complex thing called culture there, there are people in zero hour contract jobs who live and breathe culture every day you don't have to make it complicated what people want is a sense of understanding. And then what they want is, what can you give me to either help me understand my situation uh, or to help me do something about it? And the whole point of these podcasts, to be honest, you know, born out of a few conversations that I've had over the years where people are like, listen, I just love one thing every other week. Just give me something every other week. Either, you know, stretch my knowledge or... Um, give me something that I can I can use, and emotional intelligence is the same. You know, whenever I do um, personality profiles, which I do as part of my uh, culture programs and, and the work that I do to give people that sense of self awareness, is one of the things that used to bug me was the way that they were taught. Now, and I understand, I understand that the background to these things is crucially important. I understand, but. Do we really have to go back to all these 
kind of Aristotle's and, you know, and I, was, I know I used Aristotle recently, but like the history of everything and the brain side, like people just want to know, how do I use this profile to figure out whether I'm a dickhead or not? Like, you know, at its base level, that's what they want to know. How, how can I use this information so that my kids like me more or my partner likes me more? And so I think emotional intelligence is, is a, you know, fundamentally what we're talking about is, is how, do you, how, do you, how do you give people a knowledge of who they are? So, to, so it's a way of us better understanding ourselves. And uh, emotional intelligence can be a blessing and a curse in the sense that what, we, what, what emotional intelligence is, is that ability to be able to understand yourself. You know, how do I feel at any one time? And then what can I do with that knowledge, essentially? And so you, you'll know it, you know, when, when you're having a good day, you feel like you're, you're able to, to, to bring the best self of your best self to work, whatever it is for you. And again, it, you know, and I, I've, got a, I've got a session with some engineers coming up and, and for them, it's like, I enjoy my work. I know I have to do, you know, certain amount of social interactions, but I really want to fo- focus on my own thing, but also recognize I've got a contribution to make as the team and that's easy to do. And, you know, that's that kind of self-awareness is that knowledge that, you know, for engineers particularly who like working on their own is, well, you know, I've got this job to do on my own, but but I have to work with others on these other things. And that's, you know, kind of, it's basic level, that's emotional intelligence in action is knowing that when I'm feeling a bit cross, but not letting it come out of my mouth or not writing it down in an email. Uh, emotional intelligence is, you know, kind of helping to coach somebody else who might need that help. So that's the first element of culture, you know, that, that, that self-awareness, that knowledge of self and the ability to bring that best, best self to work, essentially. Whatever work it is you do, if you, you're a sports player, if you're, um, if you're a train driver, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is. The second element is engagement. And both of these, both of these are as important as each other. And by engagement, what we mean is how much do you care? How much do you care about your job? How much do you care about the people around you? Uh, how much do you care about the contribution you make to the organization? How much do you care about the organization? How much do you care about its vision, its strategy? How much do you care? That's what we mean by engagement. Now, not everyone can be 100% engaged all of the time. Just in the same way that not everyone can be 100% emotional intelligent all the time. There's, there's, no, there's no perfect person working for a perfect company. Uh, but you've got to be doing your best every day. Right. So um, en- engagement really for me, this is, organizations generally, generally can't do much about somebody's attitude. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that shortly. They can, they can influence it, but they, you can't, you know, I can't tell you what kind of attitude to have. I mean, you've got a good attitude because listen to podcasts, because you, you know, you're stretching yourself, you want to take on more knowledge and that's good, right? But it's only as good as what you do with it. You know, if you take this knowledge and go, oh, listen to Colin talking about this this morning. Right. So what that means for my job is and at that point, you're engaged. The emotional intelligence piece is you listen to the podcast. You might even be making notes. I had someone who's like, oh, I make notes every week. And that's great. Right. But it's only great if you do something with it. And at that point, you're engaged. I had one person say to me, I love you. I love your podcast. It's motivated me to get a new job. I'm like, good, I, th- I think. And they were like, oh, I just realized the place that I was working, 
Um, I just I just don't enjoy it and I don't like what they stand for. I'm like, well, that's cool. That's good because you can never be 100% engaged if you don't like the organization you work with. But it's not as easy. I want to make the point. It's not as easy as if you're not engaged to go, right, let's get another job. Right, it's just not that easy to do. And I think there's a flippancy sometimes with some thought leaders. If you don't like it, get another job. Or if you're not happy, get another job. It's like, yeah, really not that easy. Not that easy if you desperately need the money, uh, you don't want to take the risk, uh, you quite like the people, but you don't like the job, all of those kind of things, right? So, But engagement is crucially important. And when you're highly engaged, that's when you're highly motivated. When you've got no, no low engagement, it's low motivation. So I always say, it doesn't matter how emotionally intelligent you are, if you're highly engaged, you'll still get some stuff done. Right. But if you're not engaged, you won't get anything done. And this is procrastination right here is you can, you know, you can work in a, in a night. It can be a nice place to work. Um, but if, if there's no engagement, you ain't getting anything done. So engagement is crucially important. And, and this is the bit that organizations can influence by making sure they have a good vision, strong values. They treat people the same way, you know, I wrote over the weekend and, and got to get the manuscript done in the next six, six, seven weeks. And I wrote over the weekend about, um, there's a story about some UK companies who didn't pay their people properly. And they come out with all the excuses. Oh, oh we didn't realise. Oh, really? You didn't realise? Oh, I bet you, I bet you realised when you were spending capital funds, though. But because this is wages, you didn't realise. Like that kind of thing kills engagement. When you have a when you have a senior leader who behaves really poorly, when you feel like there's one rule for them and one rule for everybody else, you know what I mean? Uh, when 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 I, I spoke to one person like a few weeks back who really wanted to do a program, but their company had pulled all discretionary spend, but only for the things that they wanted to do, not for the things that other people wanted to do. Like that kills engagement, right? Um. So these two factors, emotional intelligence and engagement, they factor in what kind of culture you have right now. And what you have to identify is, well, what's the thing that's causing the culture to be as it is? So, you know, when you've got, let, let, me, let me talk through, there are four kinds of cultures, right? And culture's a feeling, right? So it's a feeling. So it's kind of like, well, how does it feel right now? So often I do this exercise where, well, in as, as my culture workshop, workshops and say, well, what does it feel like for you right now? And you could be working on the same team as someone else. You could both feel different ways for whatever reason. So when you have low engagement, right? So when there isn't much to care about and low emotional intelligence, so people aren't either aren't able to be the best version of themselves or aren't being the best version of themselves. You have what we call a stagnant culture. Uh, and in stagnant cultures, just nothing happens, right? Every, you know, it's where work goes to die in a stagnant culture. There's little interaction between staff and what interaction there is, is done, between, done by email and no one ever res responds to the emails or messages or phone calls. You have people who are largely unapproachable, who almost don't want to interact with each other. That's how little they care. There's a real aversion to change. So people will act. You, when, when you, you'll see engagement lift slightly when someone doesn't want to do something. Do you know what I mean? It's like they unite around the things they don't want to do rather than the things that do need to get done. 
And you have this real, what I call hero mentality. This is my job. You can't, I'm not telling you how to do my job. Let me do my job on my own. I'm not, I'm not talking about empowerment. I'm just talking about people who won't share information with each other. And they're, they, they're kind of protecting their job until they retire. That's how it seems anyway. And, and, and often you get that in stagnant culture. I always say when I work with organizations who have, who, who've got lots of long serving employees, um, in fact, I joked about this at the start of the year, is the culture's either really great or really bad. Like, it's really great in the sense that people are loyal, they love it, it's a place that they want to be, and they love the interactions with it, or they just can't get paid the same amount of money anywhere else, and they just refuse to leave, they refuse to leave. And then organizations do the worst thing, they do restructures and operating model changes to try and get rid of those people, and they never leave. Things are so bad that they desperately want to stay. Um, they've, they've got, you know, in stagnant cultures, that real, there's a real sense of, well, whatever you're suggesting isn't going to work and we're not going to engage with it to find out whether it does or not. They're the worst. Stagnant cultures are the worst. They really, really are. Um, and everyone, you know, with, with all four of these cultures, you'll have worked in one of them at some stage. And I think it's, for me, stagnant cultures are the worst because you're bored. Either you're bored of what's not getting done or there isn't enough for you to do. So often with stagnant cultures, this is where they'll employ a team of 20 people and there's only enough work for five people. And the culture stagnates and you know, why am I here? Why did they hire me? Why am I just sat here doing nothing? Um, I haven't, I've, stagnant cultures, I, haven't, I don't think, I don't recall in my career working in too many stagnant cultures, I have to say. Even when there hasn't been enough work we were engaged enough to know when work was coming in and we 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 had a good sense of camaraderie i think anyway stagnant cultures when when engagement is low but emotional intelligence high you get what we call a pleasant culture um and these are very nice cultures we don't want to upset anybody right um and that's good you know you 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 know this high emotional intelligence we want people to be good humans we really really do um we want people to feel able to bring their best self to work. But with pleasant cultures, it's kind of superficial. They're projecting this concept of happiness. And, 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 and there's loads of good intents. But stuff's just not getting done. Like it's just not getting, work isn't getting done. Decisions aren't getting made. People aren't working on the right things. Everyone's got a different set of priorities. I always find weird in pleasant cultures. There's just no sense of, come on, let's get this done. Um, you know, there's there's lots of, of blind optimism. We can do it, we can do it. Oh, what you get in pleasant cultures is lots of people saying yes to lots of things that they then can't do. And then they get themselves in right old tears. Going, well, I can't do this. Then why do you say yes to it? Well, you've got to, haven't you? No. If you're highly engaged, you definitely don't because you're like, I don't have capacity to do that. I've got capacity for these three things. Well, they're all important. Well, that's great, but I've only got capacity for three. Which three do you want me to do? Um, so in pleasant cultures, we take on more work. And, and, and the, the narrative here is, is, oh, we'll do it, but it's going to be hard to do. In other words, we'll do it, but I'm going to have to kill myself to do it. That's how much work's involved. So there's lots of harmony. Lots of people copied into stuff, which is just ridiculous practice. 
Start, like, if, if you do one thing today, stop copying people into emails. Just stop it. Two reasons for co- copying people into emails and, and to cover your arse or to show people how smart you are. So stop doing it. Um, but there's lots of that. Lots of people and loads of people invited. So everyone gets invited to every meeting, right? Um, I think with I think with pleasant culture, well, you know, the great thing about pleasant cultures is, is you, you, you do do a little bit of, you know, Mixing socially, you'll catch up for coffee, but then you'll use it as an excuse to moan and call people behind their back to some gossip. Uh, ple- ultimately, what I'd say about pleasant cultures is there's the, the, a foundation there. You know, with, with, with stagnant cultures, they're, diff- they're very, very difficult to turn around. A stagnant culture, something that's fundamentally broken. And usually, I think with a stagnant culture, you because you know someone in authority has presided over it one of a better word so somebody generally will have to go before you can fix it um and it doesn't always have to be a person at the top i worked one stagnant culture and there was one particular guy and he wasn't that old it's very easy to to say oh some old guy and this guy wasn't he was like in his mid to late 30s and he was just um he wasn't he wasn't toxic he, he was quite smart in the way that he did it. And, you know, I joked, I joked with him. I was like, if you used joke, the situation we found ourselves in wasn't funny because he was holding stuff back. But I said, the irony is, if you use this energy for good, you could change the, the way that this culture is, but you can't be bothered. Um, yes, so, um, but pleasant culture is a bit of a foundation there because I think people generally want to do the right thing. Um, but, but there's some new habits that need to form. So they're all kind of low engagement, stagnant cultures, pleasant cultures, low engagement, and on opposite sides, really, of the emotional intelligence spectrum. When you've got engagement, that's where work happens. But when you have a low emotional intelligence of the people in highly engaged cultures, you get a combatant culture. Everything's a fight. Everything's a battle. Everything. You feel like these these. This is when you don't want to get out of bed, right? Two, you know, there's a couple of times you don't want to get out of bed, combating cultures and toxic cultures. I'll talk about this in a second. Because there are certain people in the organization whose behaviors are making work hard to do. And that should never happen, right? But they are. Um, so so in, in combatant cultures, because we're highly engaged, we understand why the work is important. We do. But what we do is we use friction as a motivator. So what I mean by that is there's a bit of shouting. There's a bit of raised voices. There's a bit of swearing sometimes. There's uh, people who are using power and authority. That's my response. My, you ask me. If you want to do that, you ask me first. Like Stuff like that, right? Um. You know, so the, the, there's this real set. Oh, people using people's names. Well, I see, uh, you know, the, you know, John has said, if he doesn't get it by five, there's going to be trouble. That kind of stuff. There's a story about that in, in, in the media at the weekend. Someone who, who's really displaying, and not necessarily toxic, right, behaviours. Just, just rude, really. Um, civility, that's what I was reading at the weekend, you know, this, the concept of being civil, having manners, like, you know, and I, and I talk about the fact you've got different people with different personalities and you've got a certain group of people who are very direct, 
personalities, right? And so they don't say please and they don't say thank you. But that doesn't make them bad people. They just don't do that thing. You know, you've got people, people who do that all the time. They'll, they'll say sorry for breathing, you know, but people who are direct, you know, they're, they're, they're not. It just feels rude to people who, who aren't like them, but they're, they're not. They just don't use please and thank yous. But there's an edge in combat and cultures is a real edge to people. Um, and it is borderline toxic. Now, when you stay in a when you stay in a combat and culture too long, it turns toxic. Right, so combat and cultures is where we normalize low emotional intelligence, right? So this is where low emotional intelligence becomes bad behavior and it becomes normalized. And what happens is, it, 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 you know, people see, see senior managers doing it and feel that they can do it too. And that's when it turns toxic. And I've, to, I've talked about um, toxic cultures in, in previous episodes of the podcast. Um, but, you know, and, and as I've been reading, toxic cultures kill people like it's really bad. You, know, you look at the suicide rates and then you look at like some of the reasons it's toxic cultures kill people um, and organizations simply don't do enough to deal with them quickly. They, they, they bury their head in the stand. They see it as a reputational thing. They feel like they'll lose market share rather than thinking at a real human level is how can we make the conditions better for human beings who are being paid to come here every single day? And so you've got to be really, really, when, when, the, when the culture is combating, and I literally got an email from a guy this morning. I haven't read it. I don't like to start my day by reading emails. But it was just like when I turned my laptop on, the, the, the email client was open. And I just had the, you know, I clicked on this the email and it was an approach from someone. And they were saying, oh, I've read your book, Culture Fix. And I think we've got a combat and culture. And, and the right thing to do is to do something about it right now. Because if you stay there too long... It becomes it becomes combatant. So how do you know if you're combatant? Everything's priority one. Everything. You're always busy, and busy is a badge. I went sixty hours this week. Well done you. Well done you. Rubbish at managing your time. So combatant cultures, uh, but you get the work done. Uh, you just you get it done in a way that's draining. And where you want to be, of course, is vibrant. Vibrant cultures is uh, occur when people really care about, I have, to, I have to really think about the way that I say the word care. I can't say in my Northern English way, cur, cats purr, people cur, uh, really care um, about the, the, the organization, what it's trying to do, the targets that you've got. They really believe in it. There's a sense of we can do this. Um, and, and they bring their best self to work. Their attitude is great. Their energy is good. They're putting themselves to bed at the right time. They've got a good lifestyle. There's a good mix of things. They've got other stuff going on in their lives. Um, you know, and they, whatever drives you, whatever it is that drives you, there's that real sense of, come on, when we're together, we can do it. Vibrant cultures are great. They are so good. Um, because when you get up in the morning, you want to go to work. Like, listen, I'm a real, I'm an optimistic realist. You'd still rather be on holiday somewhere in the sun, right? But you want to go to work. There's this sense of we can do it. There's a target and you want to hit it. And you want to figure out how you're going to do it. Or there's a, some form of goal or there's a vision that you want to achieve. And you celebrate the success. Like along the way, you're like, yeah, let's celebrate. Because you see success as a, come on, we can do this as a motivator. Your real sense of anything is possible. 
when we work together, anything is possible. You know, and I, I was talking in New Zealand a couple of weeks ago about uh, hybrid cultures. And someone was describing their hybrid culture. And it was very pleasant. Um, and because what you've got is, uh, is it was a mix of pleasant and combatant because you've got people who are like, oh, we really want to, we really want to make this work. And that's good. But then there was a selfishness of like, but I only want it to work in the way that I want it. I only want it to work for me. It's got to suit my hours. You know, and I worked, I, I, I used the story of a, of a hybrid work culture that, um, that I'm working with where people are like, we'll do what it takes to make this a success. It's got nothing to do with what I need. It's got what I want. It's got everything to do with what the team needs. So they've got this real positivity. They've got this real balance within this hybrid way of working because they're not thinking about themselves. I don't want to come in on a Monday. There's like none of that. It's like, what do we need to do to be successful as a team? And if that means coming into the office five days to do, you know, these kind of brainstorming workshops, then that's what we'll do. If we need to be together in the same place, that's what we'll do. There's continual improvement. You're people constantly pushing each other's for each other forward. At no sense does work kind of grind to a halt. There's always a decision to be made. Um, but they do take time out. They, they take time out to socialize. They take time out to go, right, well, let's stop, take a breath. Like these cultures, what happens in vibrant culture, people make time for lunch, right? And they'll, sometimes they'll take it together because they enjoy that. And that's great. And one guy said to me, do I have to enjoy having lunch with my teammates? I'm like, you have to see it as, as something that you need to do to maintain a vibrant culture. And he was like, okay, I get it. It's not something I normally do, but I get it. I was like, yeah, this is what vibrant cultures do. And the thing is with vibrant cultures is everybody wins. Um, and winning is a good thing. Like winning at all costs is a bad thing. Winning at all costs is a sign of a combatant culture, right? This is where you make the goal more important than the individual. Whereas um, winning in the way that it should be, winning in the right way is playing within the rules, you know, and as much as it pains me for cricket fans out there, you know, there was a whole kind of, it was in the media and every front page of the media. I mean, that's how, that's how bad we are with our cricket because somebody got out in a way that isn't normal. Everyone was up in arms, an England player, but it was within the rules. And, and you know, when it comes to cricket, Australia knows how to win. God, stuck in my throat that one. But Australia does, it knows how to win. Like New Zealand All Blacks, they know how to win, but they win within the rules. Right. Um, and this is what vibrant cultures do. So, oh, the other thing about vibrant cultures, no tolerance of brilliant jerks. They don't allow individuals to hold them back. They recognize that the whole is bigger than, than the, the parts. Right. But everyone's got to do their bit. So they're the, four, they're, the, they're the four cultures. All right. So stagnant, pleasant, combatant, vibrant. Um, and for my for my. My upcoming book, so Detox Your Culture, which I'm writing right now for Bloomsbury in the UK. I'm pleased to say that's all been signed. Um, so thank you for the, to the guys at Bloomsbury in the UK. That'll be launched at some stage in 2024. So I'm running a poll on LinkedIn and I'd really, 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 I'd be really grateful if you wouldn't mind just jumping onto LinkedIn if you're on LinkedIn, searching for me, just search, I don't know, Colin Ellis Culture, if we're not connected Colin D Ellis culture um, and there's a short poll I'm interested if you've ever worked in a toxic culture 
right? Simple question. Have you ever worked in a toxic culture? Yes or no? Um, so if you, I'll put the, I'll put the link in the show notes. But if you're, if you're listening to it, once you get to the office, like don't try and do it while you're driving. Definitely not. Um, but if you wouldn't mind just jumping on and answering the poll and, and getting your teammates to answer it too, I'd be grateful. What I want to do, it's anonymous, right? But what I want to do is to be able to use it in the book to say, you know, I want to be able to say, you know, this is how bad things are. You know, and currently 96%, I think about 150 people have responded so far. We put it live yesterday and 96% of people have worked in a toxic culture. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, I'd be grateful. Thank you so much for listening to the Culture and Coffee podcast. I hope you have a great day wherever you are. Ta-ra for now.